Jamal and Kim's Inner Circle Health Tribe, episode 34. It so perfectly illustrates the power of flavor chemicals to get us to eat, to make food seem more delicious. It's time to reverse the imbalances in your life as you take the first step on your own journey towards personal change. Welcome to Jamal and Kim's Inner Circle Health Tribe, educating, empowering, and inspiring individuals to live healthier. Now here are your hosts and your guides to natural living, Jamal and Kim. Hi, welcome to Jamal and Kim's Inner Circle Health Tribe podcast. I'm Kim and I'm joined with Jamal. Greetings, everyone. And uh, peace and blessings. Yes, and this is episode number 34 featuring Mark Schatzner. And uh, this interview that we're going to share is a powerful one. It's going to touch on an area that most people might know a little bit about, but it's some scientific information, some scientific research, and really getting down to the foundation, the nuts and bolts of food addictions in this country, obesity, and why all of this is happening. And uh, Mark released a book, or he has a book out as a New York Times bestseller called The Dorito Effect. And uh, we wanted to have Mark on the show uh, because we wanted to talk about how our food is changing, how people are grabbing toward gravitating towards eating more processed foods, foods that really have no nutrient content, but they cannot stop. And why is that? And in this in, in this interview, we dive down deeper into the, the cause behind all of this. Right. I, I think this is a huge show. Um, so definitely pay attention, hang around to the end uh, where Mark gives out some tips on uh, things that you can do to combat uh, what's going on in the food industry because there's a lot of things going on. We talk about this all the time on our show, just being aware of what's being done to your food and trying to have as much control over your food as possible because these companies are manipulating the food and they're not thinking about uh, the the uh, side effects to that food manipulation and what type of impact that's going to have on the long-term health of our society. So um, you definitely want to pay attention to this and um, hopefully this will uh, inspire you to eat more wholesome foods, more whole foods and uh, to um, get your foods from a farm and to question your farmers and just be a part of uh, the process of what it takes to to put food um, on your table and and really getting away from the process and packaged foods and when you do um, consume packaged fu- uh, foods, pay attention to the labels, start reading the labels and and become uh, more aware with that process so if you're a parent, you know you have uh, nieces and nephews if you're struggling with your health with your weight. This could be the culprit, as it is for most people, with their food addictions and being controlled by their food choices. So make sure you listen into this whole interview. Uh, apply any information that you can, um, because it all starts with an awareness and uh, making positive health decisions for you and your family. So let's dive into the interview. Hi, it's Kim and Jamal here, and today we are joined by with Mark Schatzker. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, greetings, Mark. Good to have you on. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for joining us, and we look forward to sharing some powerful information with our community today. And my pleasure. Great to, great to be here. 
So before we dive in, what we like to do is share a little bit about you and some of the amazing work that you're doing. Mark Schatzker is the author of The Dorito Effect and Steak. His award-winning journalism has appeared in The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast Traveler, and Best American Travel Writing. He is also a radio columnist for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and lives in Toronto with his wife and three children. Great, Mark. You know, um Real excited about uh, diving into this show today. Uh, me and uh, Kim both have been uh, reading your book. And, yes. uh, you know, as health practitioners, you know, we, we, you know, learn about these things. But, I mean, you just took it to a whole nother level yes. and just kind of opened up our consciousness to um, just how, how deep the rabbit hole goes, in a sense. So, uh, yeah, really look forward to kind of diving in to this uh, topic today. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know it's about flavor and the way food tastes, and that's something dear to everyone's heart because we all we all need to eat to survive, right? That's the right. question. Right. Yeah. So um, before we dive into uh, the book and other uh, topics, uh, for a lot of our our read, I mean our listeners, this is their first time being exposed to uh, your book as well as uh, you. So uh, why don't you take a moment to tell us about uh, your, your personal uh, story as far as um, you learning um, uh, about the things that you did to lead to the work that you're doing right now. Who is Mark Schatzker? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, everyone loves to talk about themselves. But, uh, you know, very simply, I started, I, I got into all this as a travel and food writer. Um, I love to eat and I love to travel. Uh, my first book is called Steak, One Man's Search for the World's Tastiest Piece of Beef, and it really is just that. I traveled the world searching for the greatest steak. You're probably wondering, how does someone who travels around trying to eat a great steak become interested in health and wellness and nutrition? <laughs> um, there is, that's the interesting thing. I set out trying to find the best steak, and what I found is that the steak that tasted the most delicious to me was beef that was grass-fed. Not all grass-fed beef. It's, it's hard to raise a really good grass-fed cow, but when it's done right, that is a steak that absolutely blows your mind. It, it is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, a steak you never forget. But here's what's interesting. Grass-fed beef is also healthier, and that's what I really didn't expect because we tend to think of eating red meat as this uh, tremendous indulgence. It's bad for the planet. It's bad for the cow. It's bad for our arteries. And here was a steak that was a lot nicer to the cow, a lot better for the planet, and a lot better for me. So that made me go, what is going on here? Why would something that tastes good be better for me? Because we always think that the stuff that's delicious is killing us. Right. Um, as though we have to curb our urges. Uh, but it got even deeper than that. I, you know, when you start to really dive into the research on cattle, you start to become interested in what they eat. So I started to learn these fascinating tidbits, like a pregnant cow will eat more protein than a cow that isn't pregnant. And you sort of scratch your head and go, well, how does a pregnant cow know what to eat? Because right. they don't know what protein is. They don't, you know, they don't uh, have a degree in nutrition. They don't read lifestyle magazines. And the answer is they eat what tastes good to them. And when a cow is pregnant, the protein-rich legumes taste better than the others. Hmm. So I thought, here, here again is this interesting relationship between the way food tastes and whether it's good for you. So this is what I really dove into in the Dorito effect was looking at flavor, 
why does food taste the way it does? And more interestingly, how did we get to this situation where we are kind of prisoners of, of this food that seems to be so bad for us and we can't control our urges? Uh, so I set out to discover and understand how the flavor of the food that we eat has changed in the last half century or so. And what I found is that it's a, a huge and untold story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it just really, um, it, it uncovers so much that that is connected to a lot of aspects of health and nutrition that I definitely want to dive into. Now, uh, you, you're living in Canada right now, right? We we recently had um, a, a guest on uh, maybe two months ago from from uh, Canada as well, and uh, they were saying that you know as far as uh, food and nutrition and and just health perspective, uh, you know Canada and the U.S. were were running side by side. So from your perspective and your studies, um, what do you feel the state of health is right now in the United States as well as Canada? Well, it, you know, if you look at things like medicine, um, we've certainly made great strides since the 1950s. Our, our you know, uh, our, our approach to treating heart disease and cancer, uh, if you break a bone or something, we've got much better techniques now than we did. But when you look at nutrition, um, things are much, much worse. Um, we have gained as a, a society a huge amount of weight in the last 50 years. Um, and it, it has become probably our largest public health problem. Yeah. Tobacco uh, tobacco still kills more people than obesity. Uh, obesity is running second, um, and obesity actually causes more morbidity, which is to say disease and suffering than tobacco. Right. So it's, I mean, they had to change the name of adult onset diabetes to type 2 diabetes because right. so many kids started getting it. So that tells you that there is really something fundamentally wrong. Um, you know, we, we've sort of vanquished most infectious diseases, and yet we, we are now really struggling with the food we eat. You know, the, the stuff that for millions of years we ate to survive is now the thing that's killing us. It's this really kind of weird state. Yeah, and, and uh, you, you brought up the 1950s, and I, I know you kind of start from the beginning. You go back in your book to, you know, health and certain things going on, um, you know, in the early part of, of the 1900s. And uh, like what in your studies, what would you say um, the difference is health wise between um, now to uh, 2016 and the 1950s? Well, I would say it's the one thing in our, you know, conversation about food that has been going on for decades. The one thing we haven't talked about is flavor. Um, we just kind of assume that, oh, you know, if it's delicious, it's just, just terrible for you. Don't go near it. But really flavor is where so much of the change has happened. We, we've been focused on the, on the macronutrients. We, you know, we were focused on fat for a while. Everyone got very afraid of fat. Um, about 10 or 15 years ago, we really started to beat up on carbs. Carbs are terrible. More recently, it's sugar, mm -hmm. high fructose corn syrup. And, and of course, these things have implications for your health. But the question we haven't asked is how do these nutrients get to your stomach? Because we don't eat the way you might take a pill. Um, you eat because food is delicious. Right. Even if you're on a diet, even if you're eating Mediterranean diet or the Dash diet or the South Beach diet, you're still trying to maximize deliciousness. You find the cookbook with the best recipes for that diet. We all want food to be delicious. And when you, you know, deliciousness is about flavor. And flavor is what has really changed in our food system. And to be very blunt and simple about it, all the whole foods we grow, the tomatoes, 
chickens, the cucumbers are getting blander and blander and blander while the processed food is getting ever more delicious. So if you think of humans as animals that are wired to find delicious food, we changed the delicious food. It used to be whole foods, now it's processed food. And guess what? People are eating processed food because they want their food to taste good. Right. Right. And um, you raise a good point. I mean, we're... we're, um health practitioners and we own a holistic center here in New Jersey. And I would say um, out of all of the struggles that we have uh, with our clients, the biggest struggle has been to uh, really stick to the eating regimen because of this whole taste thing. I mean, we this is our first time really critically looking at it, but um, it's a taste thing, being able to, um, you know, make the uh, the natural things taste the way that the processed things to um the way that the processed things do and that has been a really uh you know serious thing so to really kind of dive into flavors and and understanding them is huge so um ever since uh both of us picked up the book we really haven't been able to to put it down because it's so fascinating and um you know for for those who who uh haven't read it yet or don't know about it can you explain to us like what is the the Dorito effect and what made you uh title your book that name Well the Dorito effect very simply is what happens when wholesome food gets bland and processed food gets really flavorful and delicious. People eat the wrong food, and it has consequences for our health. The book is fundamentally about flavor and how uh, industry has used flavor to get us to eat foods that we should not be eating. Uh, The reason I called it the Dorito effect is because what no one knows is that the very first ever Doritos were just plain tortilla chips, like the kind that you dip in salsa or bean dip uh, or guacamole, And they failed. Uh, They did not sell well. No one was all that interested in eating them. Mm -hmm. What changed was the addition of taco flavoring. And that that took place in the mid-1960s, and that's because of technological changes. It was at last possible to add flavorings to to make, you know, something like a tortilla chip taste like a taco. What is so interesting is that nutritionally, Doritos didn't change. They were still, uh, you know, pieces of uh, carb, deep fried and uh so the, the the nutritional impact in the body didn't change at all mm-hmm. what changed was the dose that people ate because it went from something a, a snack that no one was all interested in eating it suddenly became a snack that people couldn't stop eating yeah right. they ate lots more doritos so lots more of those carbs processed carbs and fat were getting into their stomachs it so perfectly illustrates the power of flavor chemicals to get us to eat, to make food seem more delicious. And this is what we haven't been talking about. As you guys know, you can tell people till you're blue in the face, hey, don't eat this, eat this. But eating comes from a part of the brain that isn't rational. It's not like a you know, deciding to buy life insurance or, right. or what kind of car do you want to buy. It's driven by urges, and we manipulate these urges with flavor chemicals. Right. So, so what role would you say flavor plays in uh, food addictions and overall health? I'd say it plays an enormous role because, um, you know, as, the, as that example with Doritos shows, mm-hmm. it makes people eat food they would ordinarily avoid. So it's like without these flavorings, on some level, you know, you might eat a few tortilla chips, but you, you wouldn't really kill a whole bag and then sit there and regret. Right. So yeah. it... it when we start to incentivize people to eat the wrong food, that fundamentally alters their relationship with food. 
Um, and it has long-term consequences. Uh, over a lifetime, the impact is significant. Um, one of the interesting things, I did a lot of research into food addiction, and one of the most interesting things is that when they look at uh, brain scans of food addicts, you know, we all assume that food addicts, like, they just can't control themselves, they love food, and we almost envy them for just getting to eat whatever they want and enjoying it. Like, they, you know, they really just can't curb their appetite. What is so interesting is when you look at the brain scans of food addicts, they don't actually like food more than non-food addicts. They don't derive more satisfaction. They crave it more. So if you show them, for example, a picture of a milkshake, uh, a healthy eater will think, oh, that looks nice. And then if you give them a sip, they say, oh, and that tastes nice. If you show it to a food addict, they go, oh, my God, that looks amazing. And then you Mm -hmm. give them a sip, and they go, that wasn't as good as I thought. So they want to have another sip because they're, they're constantly trying to, you know, feed that raging inferno of desire. Mm. So what we end up doing is creating food that is enticing. It's like when you eat, I mean, I, I use the example in my book of Doritos. When you eat Doritos, they don't actually taste delicious to me the way like a really good piece of dark chocolate does or a, an amazing peach. It's, it's, there's this flash of flavor and then it kind of disappears and you want to get it back. So you keep going back for more and more. So we end up creating food. It just doesn't really satisfy us. Right. It's yeah. like you're chasing a high, as you mentioned in your book. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's um, kind of frightening similarities with the science of addiction, because that's what, you know, when people talk about like a history, a person's history of drug use early on, the drug is fun. They enjoy it. It gets them high. And then when they're full on addicts, they're not using to get high anymore. They're just using to not feel horrible. Mm. And that's a really terrible state. Uh, it's an awful place to be, and it's an awful place to be with, with food. With Because with, here's the thing. Here's the difference between food and drugs. We have to eat food. You, you can't abstain from food. Right. So we really mess with our own health when we start to screw around with food like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just really thinking about it, um, and just this whole Dorito thing, I mean, I... I I don't eat Doritos anymore, but uh, you know, growing up, I I would say that I was addicted to uh, Doritos. Like I could, I literally could not stop eating them. I I would buy a bag every day. I use my allowance. I buy Doritos, Honey Buns, and, and Twinkies, and that was like my daily routine. Uh, it's just it was just something about them that uh that just made me keep eating them. And now, like you like you mentioned, when we buy the regular tortilla chips you know we have them with a little hummus and that at some point you're just like all right i've i've had enough you know it just it just something that you That's feel right. satisfied you enjoy it and then you move on it's right. not this, this this destructive relationship and it's not just doritos i mean i i use the example of doritos because it was the it was they were so successful, but you find flavorings in everything now. I mean, that's, it's the same with uh, soft drinks. If you took the flavorings at a soft drinks, it, you would just see aisles and aisles full of really sugary soda water. Right. Would anyone drink sugary soda water? No, they want the flavor, the right. flavor that comes in root beer or a cola. Um, but, you know, you made another interesting point is that when you eat tortilla chips now, you dip them in hummus. Mm-hmm. And that's the other interesting thing about flavoring because it creates this illusion of variety. You don't need to dip a tortilla chip in hummus if it tastes like nacho cheese or Cool Ranch or whatever. And and just think about that nutritionally because when you dip in hummus, you're you're going into a totally different kind of food that's high in fiber and so forth. Right. But when you put the flavoring on, it's just – it's just more and more tortilla chips. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it, it, there's no need now. It's like a one-stop uh, taste shop in a sense. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So let me ask you a question. Do, do you think that 
the food industry is like purposely trying to uh, get people addicted to uh, these foods? I think the food, let's say, here's where it started. Um, I, you know, I've, I've met and interviewed lots of people who work in the food industry. I, I don't, you know, this idea that people have of, like, evil executives sitting in rooms right. laughing <laughs> as they rub their hands together is not accurate. Right. Um, they are fighting it out for market share. They mm-hmm. have stockholders that are expecting profit. They're doing everything they can to make the products they sell more appealing. Um, and that's where this has gotten to. You know, when the guy who invented Doritos invented Doritos, he wasn't trying to create food addicts or anything like that. He was just trying to, you know, he was a VP of sales and marketing, and he was trying to introduce a successful new product. At this point, I think we're at a turning point now where companies need to be aware of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That um, they cannot, you know, I remember at one point I was being taken on a tour of a flavor lab, and I said, you know, do you guys ever have a... You know, because they were saying, oh, these are the chemicals that make food taste good. And I said, do you guys ever worry about the consequences of this as far as people overeating? And they say, oh, that, that's a personal choice. Uh, p- people mm. just need to be aware of portion control. And I think to right. myself, you know, it's not that simple. Right. If it were that simple, I mean, if it was something like wearing your seatbelt, well, people would do it. Right. But it's not. Um, and that's, that's, I think, the, the, you know, the bridge that has to be crossed now. I, I don't think they can say it's just about... Uh, portion control and personal choice because right. we know it's not that simple and we know the consequences are are huge i mean billions in terms of just the price of in terms of healthcare and so forth it's it's in the billions of dollars right yeah so it's it's um these companies just need to begin taking uh personal responsibility for the effects that it's having on people i mean um, you know, you you hear about all these different things, and uh, the book definitely opened my eyes to uh, just the the original pure sincerity of you know these different scientists and people setting out to just try to make a better product, and 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 in that um, during that process, not paying attention to other things that were shifting and changing, and then once it kind of becomes this uh, monster <laughs> that that you have, you know, now how do you control? Uh, the monster when it has affected uh, people's health and, uh, and and things of, of that nature. So it definitely um, opened us up to that. Um, and based on what, what we're reading, it, like, you know, flavoring, I mean, it's, it's a whole science. Like, uh, you know, based on what you're, you're reading, uh, companies are bringing in uh, scientists and they're spending, you know, millions of dollars on, on, uh, on flavoring, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing what they're capable of. They can... You know, you can go to a flavor company and they, and they can give you flavorings, let, let's say within, not even within citrus, but within something as narrow as tangerine. They can give you 10 different versions of tangerine. One of them might be better for a yogurt that's being marketed to kids, and one might be better for a yogurt that's being marketed to adults. They even have machines that allow people to modify flavor in real time, like by pressing buttons so they can achieve the, the perfect cherry, for example. And they use these with kids to create let's say a, a cherry flavor of ice cream or candy or, or a soft drink that kids just really, really love. Uh, on the one hand, it's absolutely fascinating and you marvel at what people have achieved. On the other hand, you just go, wait a second, like what, what are the consequences here? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in natural medicine, especially in, um, Ayurvedic medicine, um, it talks about uh, just the the, uh, the different tastes and uh, with e- each taste, like if you just made sure that you hit all of the taste points 
in uh, your diet, you're automatically going to touch on certain types of nutrition like sour, you know, with lemons and things of that nature are going to bring a certain level of of uh, nutrition, uh, natural salts like, uh, you know, um, celery and things of that nature are going to bring a certain level of uh, nutrition. So it's like our bodies, they, they crave these things, but they're going to get the nutrition along with it. So now um, you can hit all of those taste points without without the nutrition. And that actually sounds pretty deadly. No, and that's a great way of putting it because that's what really changed. Uh, it all changed with a with a, a machine invented called the gas chromatograph, which which lets scientists unlock flavor, so they could basically figure out what what compounds, what chemicals inside an orange or a piece of roast chicken um, or chocolate made it taste the way it did, and then they started creating them in the lab and then in factories and adding them to things. Um, if you in the real in the in the natural world. If you eat a variety of delicious foods, you're going to eat a variety of different things, Um, you know, fruit, vegetables, and so forth. So like you say, that craving for variety and deliciousness brings you to many different foods that all offer something different nutritionally. When you create chemical flavorings, you, you sever that connection between nutrition and flavor. It's just flavor. The nutrition is just the same. It's carbs and sugar and all the rest of it. So... So, you know, our flavor system is really, really uh, sophisticated and amazing. Um, If you look at all your DNA, the biggest chunk is devoted to creating the nose and mouth, the system we have to sense the flavor in food. But it wasn't designed for a world where you could manipulate it. It was designed for a world where... You know, the flavor of cherry always brought you to cherries, and the flavor of pineapple always brought you to actual pineapples, not to pineapple gum, pineapple yogurt, a pineapple drink. And that's, that's how we've really fooled ourselves, because we've, you know, this is the thing. All this food that we shouldn't be eating really is delicious. People love it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, your own experience growing up, it's really hard to put that stuff down. Right, yeah. Well, one thing that you um, didn't, you didn't use these specific words in your book, um, but it's kind of a a buzzword in the health community is uh, excitotoxins. Would you say that, uh, you know, these flavorings and chemicals that they're using are their excitotoxins? Well, they are in the sense that they, um, they promote um, the kind of unregulated consumption of foods that we not only would normally avoid, but should avoid. And what you get, I mean, the, the, the best example is obesity, which is, which is calorie toxicity. It's, it's the consumption of too many calories. I mean, toxicity is all about the dose. And America's problem, and Canada's too, is our dose of calories is just way too high. Right. And, and so we know the, the, uh, the, the side effects of this, not eating real foods and just eating uh, substances uh, categorized as foods that, that taste good. But now with the chemicals that they're using to create these flavors um, in your research, are they safe or um, have some of them been proven not to be safe? No, I would say they're, they're generally safe. You know, if you look, for example, at the, uh, at the flavor chemicals they put in an orange-flavored soft drink, mm-hmm. those are many of the same chemicals you'll find in an actual orange. So, and this has always been the, the defense that the flavor industry uses. They say, well, this isn't, this isn't dangerous. I mean, these are the same chemicals you find in, in real food. And they're right. I mean, they are the same chemicals. The problem is that they get you to eat too much. Right. They actually use flavorings in cigarettes, too. Wow. Um, they have... 
yeah, for decades. In fact, I found a, I dug up a memo from the early seventies that that where they said if you put flavorings in cigarettes, young you know young teenagers like them better. It's how they would bring in new smokers is through flavored cigarettes. Um, the flavorings aren't bad for you. It's the cigarettes that are bad for you. Why are the flavorings bad? Because they get you to smoke the cigarette. And it's the same thing with food. Wow. The flavoring in that orange flavored soft drink isn't bad for you. But what is bad for you is drinking one or two orange flavored soft drinks every day. And mm. it's bad for you in the long term because you develop things like diabetes or heart disease. Uh, obesity and so forth. Right. And, you know, it makes me also just, you know, just in saying that, uh, it, it makes me look at uh, also kind of a positive side in a sense because um, me and my wife, we've been eating plant-based, you know, vegetarian, vegan uh, eating for, you know, 15 years. And uh, 15 years ago, I mean, it was a challenge just to find a veggie burger. But now, I mean, you have so many different types of of veggie meats out there. We call them transitional foods like chicken and and beef and fish. And, uh, you know, we've tried some of these things. And I mean, I know we're, you know, far removed from, you know, eating uh, the real thing. But I mean, they taste <laughs> to us like the real thing. And they fool a lot of people that that taste them. And that I guess that goes back to the flavor technology, right? It does. And it's funny because it's a question I get, you know, because there's a lot of people working on foods like this. And, um, you know, they say they can use sort of the same soy-based substrate to create an imitation chicken, an imitation beef, and so forth. And uh, there's often a very good intention fueling these, these kinds of developments. But I look at that and I think, well, how good can that be if you're if th- this stuff all tastes the same? Right. Or sorry, all tastes different, but it's leading you back to the same s- nutritional thing. Right. That, I think, gets into a gray area. Not to mention, I've always found the most exciting vegetarian and vegan foods are, are real foods. Not, Absolutely. Not the fake hot dogs and right. all that. It, yes. It's just, it's, uh, it's when you eat a really wonderful, uh, uh, you know, lentil salad or something that you go, wow, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you really uh, bring up a good point. It, it is creating um, a, a gray area there. That's why we call them transitional foods because you use them, you know, in that transition. But ideally, you want to end up in a place where you're eating all of these real foods, these whole foods, and things of of that nature. And also, you can see why that people are so addicted and stay in that transition phase because the food, the natural flavors, it right. makes you crave it, and you can't stop eating them. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, no, that's right. And it's the same problem with artificial sweeteners. Is that I think people initially thought these are a good thing because they give you that sense of sweetness without all the calories. But a lot of the research is showing that people who use artificial sweeteners are still at similar risk for things like obesity and diabetes. So what that tells me is, is part of the problem is it's still keeping that the body's expectation of sweetness really high. And what we've got to do is just basically get people to form a different relationship with food, to right. find the joint food that's not about uh, you know, simple calories and, and a big blast of sweetness and all that. Right. That also brings us to another topic, um, the actual taste of the current natural foods. What I was blown away in reading this because you, it's like you knew it in the back of your mind. You just couldn't put your finger on it and you just put it right there. What What is going on with the tomato? Yeah, this is the other side of it. And, and this is also extremely important. Um, real foods are getting blander. 
And this is a huge problem because when we tell people to eat healthy, what we forget is that food, it must be enjoyable. Uh, very few people have the willpower to eat bland food. Right. So when you turn wholesome foods like tomatoes and strawberries into cardboard, well, one of two things happens. Either they take those strawberries and they blow them full of whipped cream, and there goes your nutritious <laughs> meal, right. or they dump ranch dressing all over their tomatoes, or they go, well, I don't want that. I'm going to go eat something else. And that's what often happens, especially with kids. They just think healthy food is awful, and they just want to eat junk food all the time. Right. So it's incredibly important that real food be delicious the way it was kind of meant to be. Um, and what we've done is, is watered it down um, and created whole foods that nobody really wants to eat. Right. Yeah. And and I was I was also blown away because, you know, you, you it makes sense. Like I get it with the, the, the vegetables and, and things that they're doing and how this could have happened. But I mean, for the first time, I'm really reading that this is also happening with uh, with animals as well. Like the, like chicken, the flavor of chicken is, is gone. It's, yeah, the flavor of chicken is nothing like it used to be. It's amazing because if you look at old recipes for chicken, they, they almost look naive and stupid because it will just say <laughs> things like uh, roast chicken will just have salt and pepper. Right. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? I mean, don't they have taste buds? Because you look at a, a recipe now for roast chicken and you, um, you know, you brine it and then you, you put like a, a spice rub on it and, and all these things and then hit it with herbs before you serve it and, you know, a zing of like cider vinegar or lemon or something like that. Um, but the reason is that chicken literally does not taste the way it used to because like so much of the food we consume, we have optimized it for quantity, but we have not looked at quality. And a lot of it comes down to us. A lot of it's because everybody wants everything to cost 99 cents. Right. Right. Um, and it's, so again, you get into that situation where you create food that isn't good on its own, so we end up blasting it with sauces and flavorings to, to make it delicious, and we end up changing our relationship with it. One of the biggest differences for me, uh, I do eat meat, but I, I like things like heirloom chicken and grass-fed beef, but one of the things I find that's so interesting is when you eat better quality meat, your portion tends to go down because it's so much more satisfying. Right. Um, and that's, that's the question we never really talk about is, is satiety. Why are some foods satisfying and other foods not you know if I, if you go to mcdonald's you can you can put down a thousand calories in no time and you're hungry 45 minutes later yeah um but you you know you eat a really wholesome great meal it's delicious and you're satisfied you're you're great until it's you know the next meal you're not snacking all afternoon right yeah um so so let me ask you a question uh for for people that um you know because this is for a lot of people this is their first time hearing about this and learning about these things, what would be the, the first step as far as a person, uh, you know, beginning to break themselves of these addictions and moving back in the other direction and, and trying to find, uh, you know, real food to, to eat that tastes good? There's a bunch of things I would say. Uh, one of the first ones is, is we need to think more about deliciousness and even the nature of it. There are some foods that satisfy us in the moment, but not long term. Um, they even they will just satisfy you on that first bite, but then you keep kind of reaching back into the bag for more. Where there are other foods, I, I use dark chocolate as an example. Dark chocolate, I love dark chocolate. I, I think it's just absolutely delicious. You sit there, you can close your eyes and just concentrate on all these wonderful flavor notes going on in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But the really interesting thing about dark chocolate is you can't really overindulge. Like you could never eat a big chocolate bar in one sitting because you just you have a couple pieces and you're like that was awesome. That was enough. I'm moving on. Right. 
Um, so I think it's important to focus on foods like that. But the other thing I would say, read the ingredients. If you see the words natural flavor or artificial flavor, you know that flavorings have been added. You know that it's essentially been engineered to seem delicious. Right. So that's something, you know, ask yourself, is that something I want to put in my body? What are the, you know, what are the effects of, of this when, I, when all the foods I eat are like this? But the other thing I would say is if you're trying to eat whole foods and eat a better diet, think about flavor. It's not just enough to eat a tomato or eat a carrot. It has to be delicious right. because if it's delicious, there's more nutrients there, but also it's more satisfying. You will find more joy in it and you will be able to, that, that diet will be sustainable. It'll be a diet that nourishes you and makes you happy. And that's incredibly important. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank, thanks for that, uh, that information. And um, as far as uh, your book is concerned, um, it's a it's it's a paperback and uh, ebook. It's yeah. There's hardcover. There's paperback. There's ebook. Uh, the Dorito effect. It's called. It's in stores. Uh, it's online. Okay, and so they they can get it from uh, your website, or they can get it from uh, Amazon. Exactly. Yep. Okay, and I I do have another question in regards to um, to the chicken. I remember reading about how you know the chickens have been raised a certain way, and there are certain uh, you know breeds that their focus is just really on uh, eating, <laughs> eating all the time, and and they're lazy and they don't want to kind of run the the pasture and things of of uh, of that nature. Does that create a, another issue when they say? Uh, you know, like free range, for example, because they really don't want to run free. They just want to kind you know, of sit and eat. It's a great question. Great question. And you're absolutely right. Modern chickens have been bred to to grow super, super fast. They have a, a, a ravenous appetite. They just sit there and eat, basically. And it takes a modern chicken about six weeks to, you know, to get big enough to eat. Um, 50 years ago, it was more like 16 weeks. We've really... Uh, I mean, it's it's incredible how we have bred them uh, for this unbelievable growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but when so often when you see free range, it just means that chickens have the option to go outside right. for a door. Yeah, they just, don't actually go out there. <laughs> they right. just sort of choice. <laughs> yeah, they just um, have that So option. that's very different than a pasture chicken, which is actually on land, on grass, you know, moving around the barnyard eating grass and bugs and so forth. So free range is no guarantee. In fact, what they do is they often add a dye to the feed to to make the skin look yellow because wow. that makes people think like oh this thing was outside you know eating grass when when in fact it wasn't. Wow. Yeah, I mean uh you know we definitely um tell our clients, you know, the ones that that do consume animal products, you know, uh to go for the, you know, hormone pesticide free, try to get them from uh from farms. Uh, if if possible, um, with, with the way that the industry is going, if with, if people are going to farms, uh, you know, local farms and things of that nature to to get their food, um, are they get getting the same, you know, other animals that are being bred for the grocery stores or are they actually getting uh, better products? It depends. It, 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 you know, you got to ask questions. There are some farmers at farmers markets who are essentially selling something pretty close to the industrial product, but then there's lots of farmers who really are selling uh, a unique and very different product. So you just need to ask. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we really, really appreciate it uh, having you on the show. We're, we really enjoyed the book. I definitely yes. recommend, um, you know, everyone out there trying to take their health to, a, to the next level. This is an important piece 
uh, to really read and become educated on um, how they're, they're treating our food and what they're doing to, to manipulate us in a sense. Um, Mark, uh, if people want to follow you uh, social media wise and things like that, where can they go? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, uh, Mark Schatzker. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Mark Schatzker. And um, my website is markschatzker.com, but you can go to uh, the DoritoEffect.com and that will bring you there. Thank you very much. And uh, do you have any, any parting words for our listeners? I, you know, I would just say, as, as dire as this looks, be excited because um, when you eat, you know, real food that's delicious, like real tomatoes and really good carrots, it is so much better than processed food. It is yes. Processed food does not, it has the edge on bland food. It does not have the edge on, on real food that, that tastes the way it should. Right. That's where the real, the, the, the action is. That's, that's the best food you'll ever eat. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate you. Yes, definitely. And uh, before we go, for all the information in this podcast episode, all of Mark's personal information, contact information, information on his books, just go to jkhealthtribe.com and go to the search box, type Mark in there, and you will find this episode. And Mark, thank you once again for the amazing work. I enjoyed myself. Thank you, guys. That was great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. All right. So that is the conclusion of our interview with Mark Schatzner. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode, but most importantly, you receive value from it. And to access the show notes page for this interview, just go to jkhealthtribe.com, go to the search box and type Mark in there, and you will have access to the show notes pages to get all the information that we discussed in this episode, Mark's contact information and information on his book. And before we go, we just want to let everyone know that we teamed up with Audible Books so you can get a free Uh, audible book as well as try their service free for 30 days and if it's not for you you can cancel your membership and still keep your audible book and the Dorito effect is available on the audible book so just go to jkhealthtribe.com forward slash books that's jkhealthtribe.com forward slash books and download your free copy of the Dorito effect today so until next time live healthier We hope you enjoyed your time with Jamal and Kim's Inner Circle Health Tribe. To keep you on your path towards a happy, healthier lifestyle, we encourage you to visit jkhealthtribe.com for a free copy of the eight effective ways to lose weight and keep it off, as well as more content to help you find your health balance. Thanks again, and we look forward to educating, empowering, and inspiring you to live healthier.